Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Illuminate. If you're just now joining in, uh, this is part two of a conversation we started last week with Pastor Mark about vision and ministry. So if you haven't caught that first part, I encourage you to go back to last week's episode and get caught up. Uh, but without further ado, uh, here's Pastor Mark on vision. Looking at where uh, the culture of hope is right now in our context, um, what are some areas that you see in the way that we're executing our vision that are areas for improvement? Like where, where are some things that you would like to see growth in our church as you're uh, continuing to carry out this vision? And how do you balance uh, that desire to make things better with uh, our human imperfections? Because we talk a lot about excellence and not perfection, but what yeah, does that look like right. for you right now? Yeah. And, and I think that a great model of that is is Christ and, and his relationship with the disciples. That you know, he he chose a motley crew, not the rock group, but yet a motley crew for sure. And some people have to Google that. I realize generations. Some of you have to re- maybe Google that or whatever. But yet he he chose these individuals were, that were extremely imperfect and very flawed. You know, if anything, it's almost as if you, you would. It's almost as if there was an intentionality. And I, there was, right, of finding this group of characters. And in the middle of that, he would strive for excellence in them. He would strive. He would push them. The, as we say a lot of times, it's the, the real of our life, the ideal of, of our life, and that vast cavern between those that God walks us through called sanctification, that journey that we find ourselves in. So I've taken that over the years and placed that over the church and to realize, one, the church is extremely imperfect because it's made up of people like me, highly imperfect and at times dysfunctional. And and I take that and realize that there's a journey that we're on to get to the ideal. And the reality is that the ideal will only be achieved when Christ returns and makes everything right so this journey that we take Hope Fellowship, as specifically as a church on, requires a lot of patience and a lot of, um, uh, I think, understanding and uh, a lot of compassion and love because that journey is brought about by people. And, and so it, 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 is, it is that constant, honest look at where we are and say, okay, these are the things that we need to fix. What we have, we have a poster in our office that says make things better, right? So that's what we're about. We're about making things better. So if we were to say, so what are some things at Hope Fellowship that I think that we need to do better? Well, you know, we made a list of them, and we call it our five for 25. You know, there are the five things that we want to see done by 2025 as, as far as that. And, and so I said that these are five things I believe that we could make better at Hope Fellowship. And we all, and we characterize them by saying that we wanted to create a greater culture. That's how we start everything. We want to create a greater culture because programs do not always necessitate change. 
programs create duty. They create jobs for people to do. Culture, culture brings change. It really does. And so what we said, we wanted to create a greater culture of prayer. And, and I just didn't choose these five things out of the air. I, I looked at the church honestly and said, this is what we need to do better. That we wanted to create a greater culture of prayer. We wanted to create a, this greater culture of, of generosity. We are a generous church. I, we celebrate that all the time, but we're not there yet. To create a greater culture of, of biblical knowledge that um, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. So we need biblical knowledge, a greater culture of community. Uh, Nathan and I have had this conversation even today about, about that, that we're not where we want to be. And I'm, and I'm not sure we'll ever be where we want to be. I'm not sure there's this moment, right, where we say, ah, we're here, and let's sit back and kind of, uh, you know, just let it roll on its own. I don't think we'll ever be there because the world is a changing place, and we know that there's an enemy that fights us in these areas. And so that in the other area, the last is that of discipleship. And we've set a course to make some, some huge, I think, strides forward in that area of creating, um, creating a journey for people to where that we follow our children all the way through to adulthood to build disciples and then live, living off the, the, the understanding and the truth is does disciples make disciples, right? And um, churches, do not, churches do not grow in a healthy way. They can grow, but they don't grow in a healthy way through gimmicks and things like that. And, you know, if I say those things, then you may get some comments, but they don't. And you can give away a lot of stuff, and we could do that. And we could create all those moments. And we do give away some things sometimes, yes. But gimmicks cause a church to grow, but they don't cause them to grow in a healthy way. But growing disciples... And then disciples making disciples is the only biblical method of healthy church. I think of Peter Skogar says a difference between growing and flourishing. And growing yeah, is go. growing by numbers, but flourishing is what Christ calls us to do. I think, so you say all that. I completely agree. And I keep thinking, even, I think you even touched on it this past Sunday, talking about deism and, or, yeah, deism. a deist and a theist. And, and we talk about how there is hope attainable. Yeah. And I think that's, that's the balance that I always struggle with. And as you're talking, I'm even thinking in my head of, okay, if we can never attain it until he returns, the classic, what's the point? Yeah, what's what's the, the point then of even trying if we yeah. can't attain it in this life? Uh, you know, it's even like in our sanctification. And in, as we are becoming more like Christ, I mean, Paul says that it is, a, it's, it is this hope attainable. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's the hard part in that is... Um, you know, even just looking at myself and even in our conversation today, I like to beat myself up a lot for not being perfect, as I think all three of us probably like to beat ourselves up a lot uh, for not being perfect. And I'm sure there's people listening who like to beat themselves up for not being perfect. But I think it is also because in back of my head, I'm thinking through the work of the Holy Spirit in my life, does Paul mean that this is attainable here? Or is he just saying that's attainable in the future? And we just strive for that knowing that we don't attain it until heaven. Does that make sense? Yeah. And then in the context of this this conversation of doing these things perfectly at a church, we strive for that 
110% of the time. Right. I believe you can build a better life here. Yeah. I, I, I really do. And, and that's not... <laughs> that's that's not the title of a cheesy Christian book either. So <laughs> sounds like a New Year's sermon. <laughs> no, build a better life here. Yeah, yeah, build a better yeah, life, life here. here. I like that. We need to use that, right? Yeah, take that out. Build a better life here. My next sermon. And and because God knows if we use that as if we use that as our anchor, then 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 we then we tie ourselves to this life. Yes, and and that's the that's not what we're talking about. I, I think what we are talking about is what, well, read the book of First Peter. Remember our teaching through the first P, book of First Peter is that you do, you do find yourself in a, in a sinful, broken world. What is our call? Our call as the church is to make the world around us a better place. And I know that sounds even somewhat cliche-ish itself, but, but that is our call. That is our call. That's why uh, the church cannot ignore social issues, and we, we know that. The church speaks out against injustice. The church speaks out against racism. The church speaks out uh, against human trafficking. The church speaks out against substance abuse, all of those kinds of things, and there's many, many, many more, and I'm not excluding any of them, but yet the church should be involved in those things, but always remembering that the gospel is the answer to those things as well, is that but yet we do, we do live for a hope to come. There's no doubt about that. We do when Christ returns at the second advent and he makes all things right and he, and he corrects all injustices. But yet there is a work for us to do in the world today and that is that we do strive to make a better place around us. We do. Because... That's, that's our Christian witness, right? That, that is how people see Christ within us. And, and so we don't isolate ourselves. I, I think what we do is, is, as Christians many times at the church, is that we sort of, we sort of set up this construct of the church and, and here we all are and it seems like that we have everything together in our life and and everything is good over here, and so we're hoping that people might pass by us occasionally. They see us, oh, I like that. Their life looks so much better than mine. I think I'll wander in, and you know, and then they become part of us. And, and that's, I think, totally biblically contrary to what God has called us to do. God has called us to simply go in the world. You know, I, I hate to use a cliche, but I'll use it for a moment. That He's called us to, to be in the world, but the world not in us. And I know that's a very cliche statement, but I think it's very true. Yeah. And, and, that, and that goes back to our discussion earlier. It's remaining relevant, yet maintaining our vision is what God has called us to do. And to realize that the ultimate thing that God has called us to as churches have gospel conversations. Because the gospel is the answer to all of the woes of the world. It's the gospel. And but yet God has given us unique visions as churches to meet very specific needs in the community that he has placed us in. What then do you think, looking around, uh, what would you say a church looks like that lacks vision or more specifically God-given vision or scripture-based vision? What would you say a, a church uh, looks like? Because I know like even for me, like if I was just someone who was looking for a church, that'd be a big question for me of how can I identify 
a church that maybe is <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, going down the wrong path. We, I, we're not calling out churches by any means or anything like that, but for, for you and your experience um, and in your wisdom, what would you say is yeah. a church that, that lacks vision? God-given vision specifically, yeah. I guess. Because First of all, let me say something. That, that what is so, I think, inspiring about our culture and and again, we're not called to be anti-culture as a church. We're called to be countercultural. And there's two different things. You know, we were raised. Well, I can remember when church was anti-culture, right? We just basically every Sunday morning was this rant and rave of, of everything that we stand against. Well, that's being anti-cultural. We're called to be countercultural. That means we're called to come in and affect culture, and change it and bring God out in culture. But what I love about this culture is that people all often ask me on a Sunday morning that's new to the church or whatever, and we get an opportunity to have a conversation, they will say to me, so what's your vision? And, and I'm able to say, oh, well, let me tell you. I'm glad you asked, right? Uh, our vision is becoming belonging through loving God, loving others, and making disciples. I can say it pretty fast and then, then build on that and, and explain what that means. Um, I think for years people would say to someone at in church leadership, so what's your vision? And, and then they, then what would be the immediate thing that would come out of our mind? We would start listing off all the ministries that we have. We would all, and, and so all of a sudden, we're defined by what we do yeah. and not what we necessarily understand about God and what God has called us to. And I think that's different. That's different. It's sort of... Uh, you know, uh, you know me. I have all these little sayings. I've learned them from my dad or whatever. And, and of course, you've heard this one. It's sort of like putting the, the the cart before the horse, so to speak. And it doesn't really work real well that way. And and so what I see that churches that uh, are not vision driven are usually more program driven. I think it's it's what they do. It's all the things that they do. And so what happens is, I think that if you're program-driven, then you respond to everything that happens in the world with some program or whatever. And not a lot is bad, but I, I believe that at some point you get so diluted you don't know who you are. So the only thing you can answer people with when they say, so tell me, you know, who are you? What's your vision? Well, this is what we do. This is what we do. And you sort of lose yourself in, in that. And if you're program-driven as a church, then you find yourself stumbling through the life of your church, trying to always find something that works next. And, and that is a daunting task because at some point you run out of ideas, right? And when you don't have the next thing, then what happens is you feel defeated or you feel like God's not speaking to you or you feel like you're stalemated in what you do, or those because that's what you're driven by. And I think that a church that functions inside of a vision and does not venture outside of those parameters of a vision, then they, they always have a, a direction, and they know where they're going. They know where they're going, even if this month in the life of that church is not the best month it's ever had, then you're not out searching for the next gimmick, but yet you you know that there there is a goal, there is a point, there is there is the thing that you're working toward and, and working your way toward that vision that God has given you. 
so you're not always searching for, oh, what's going to make it work? Why, why did programs, I mean, I, I'm just thinking to even like the church, when it started in America, you think of, I mean, I, I think of Puritans. And Puritans did not have programs. They just had oh, abnormally yeah. long Sunday services. <laughs> uh, and they, but they knew scripture. So well, for me, like, when, when do you feel like, like how, how new are progr- program-driven churches? Because, uh, you know, is that, did that come with seeker-friendly churches? Did that start beforehand? And then why, why did we start leaning so heavily as the church, not Hope Fellowship? Yeah. I don't think we were around when that started. Um, I think it started much earlier than that. But yeah. why, why did we... Why did we do things the way we did things back then and start to focus so much on programs? Yeah. I, I think it had to be, you know, and this is just my, my, my thought for whatever it's worth it, that <clears throat> God created a church, his body, the bride, I think, to work within the constructs of a vision. And that was from the very beginning, I believe. I mean, we know that the New Testament church, their vision was that building disciples and disciples make disciples. There was a whole concept of it. And, and so when the church moved away from that was probably, and, you know, not a history lesson, I think, but probably sometime around when the church transitioned, you know, with that of Constantine and when the church began to transition uh, away from being a movement to being institution, yeah. That at institution necessitated programs. It really did because it's kind of built upon that, right? Is is that? And then as time went on, that the church adopted the concepts of of corporate business to where that the church became a corporation, and and the church became a corporation. So its leadership became very corporate based. We based it by that. And, and, and then no longer were we, were we seeking God for direction and, and following the vision that God gave, but yet everything, well, the church became a democracy. And when the church became a democracy, the church got in trouble because the church is built to be a theocracy, right? And, and so the church got in trouble in, in that moment to where that we, when it became a democracy, we became subject to the whims of the people that basically led or attend or whatever. And so what does that mean? Well, we adopted programs to deal with the desires and the whims of everybody around us. And, and, and all of a sudden we find ourselves lost in the middle of that. And when you do that so many years, how do you get out? Yeah. Well, it becomes all about what can we do for the people rather than what yeah. can the people do for God. Yeah, and I think that's yeah, you're right. And then once you and once your entire once the entire identity of your church is built upon that, then you can never get out of that because when you stop doing that, the only reason the people are there is because you have been feeding this, I guess, almost consumer culture of sure. once you stop feeding them, they're gonna leave to go find something else. So then they're stuck in that. If I guess if they want to continue whatever success you would call it, uh, they would, otherwise their success is going to stop uh, when it comes to growth and maybe not flourishing. Yeah, no, I think that's the nail on the head for sure. That, and that's, and I think that's where we are because we're looking at a danger right now in church culture of, of almost returning to that in a very modified, maybe hybrid way that we find ourselves almost going back to that in some ways is, is we have to caution ourselves. That's why... Like for us, we, we put everything through, I call it a funnel, right? The funnel of our vision. Everything goes to the funnel. If it doesn't fit to the funnel, we don't do it. And, 
And so I've become, we've become very comfortable to say no. You know, and, and there's something freeing about saying no when, when we say no, that's not what we're about. That's not what God has called us to because the temptation is to say yes because we think that that's the avenue to building a church. That might be the avenue of uh, temporary attendance, but yet it's not the longevity of a church, nor is it the health of a church to do that. And so uh, that's, I think, the transition from that of, an, uh, of a movement to an institution. And we d- adopted sometime in the 50s, the 40s and the 50s. I remember church history, right? Sometime in there that somebody had this great idea that we would adopt uh, corporate America's model of leadership and church leadership, that that would work real well in the church, which was totally contrary to biblical principles. But we thought that was a good idea because we know more than God. And, um, and, and then we, we just stumbled through years and years and decades and decades of, of really uh, of the church, I think, just, um, just well, we've, we hurt a lot of people. That's the reality of it. We hurt a lot of people. We, as I always say, we piled up a lot of bodies outside the back doors um, because we use people for purposes instead of simply building disciples. And what I love about doing church right now, you know, um, is that uh, is the desire and the hunger in, in our culture for community, and and that commu- that desire for community has driven us back to discipleship. It really has, and what the church is based upon, and that's and that's our vision. I just find all that so fascinating when it comes to we are the purpose of this is to get to why we do things the way that we do things, and I feel like so much of it has to do with our past. Our past has so much to do with why we do things the way we do things in the present. Sure. Like we talk about with the church overcorrecting so many times um, and the church overcorrecting from fault to fault. A lot of times missing middle ground, which is the right, <laughs> a good spot to be. And yet through it all, since the vision underlying vision stays the same, even though we overcorrect, the beauty is that it is God's church. So even when we overcorrect, even when we are imperfect and make mistakes, yeah. God yeah. holds his bride and takes care of his bride very dearly and, and, and holds him holds her closely. So I think that's the beauty of all this conversation is that, yeah, we're talking about why we do things the way we do things. We're talking about our imperfections, both as mm. the Big C Church and even Hope Fellowship. We are imperfect uh, because, like, you, you know, you already said, like, we're, it's a staff of imperfect sinners <laughs> trying to lead a group of imperfect sinners. So, yeah, this is not, on paper, does not look good. <laughs> it's a recipe for success. <laughs> right, yeah, right. Yes. And yet it's, it's, it's his bride. And I think that's the, be- that's the analogy I always love to it's, come back to it's because it. it's his bride. Like, he's going to care for this yeah. and love for it and make sure that this thing called marriage between us and him are, is always growing. Um, and he will maybe a bad word to use, but drag us along if need be, because a lot of times we put our heels in and say no, and yet he just, he drags us. I, I think this it's the beauty of his love for us and a love for his church, his people, for sure. Yeah, let me let me share something with you real quick. I had a thought. We talked about how church has changed being relevant in this world and, and how that we we really fight against this thing of being vision-driven and, and program-driven, and... Um, we, we talked about COVID for a moment and how it changed culture with us. <clears throat> One of the specifics that changed for us, and I, it just thought, I thought about it, so I thought I'd mention this, is, is this amazing thing of how we repositioned 
our, and it's a small thing, but it's huge, how we've repositioned our receiving of an offering in our services. Yeah. And, and um, most people, it, most pastors, it would scare the you-know-what out of them, right, to, to reposition that moment. So the Lord, in, in looking at our vision, what we really realized was, but COVID brought this to fact to us, but that, our, that our, how we allowed people to participate in stewardship was not in line with our vision. And so as we've restructured that, and we know even since we're back on campus that we no longer receive a physical offering, but we, we take that moment to teach on generosity. This week, um, Hannah, um, and if you don't know who Hannah is, she's our worship arts coordinator, amazing person, love her to death. In fact, she's sitting right across the table from me right now. And Hannah talks about how you can interject yourself into serving locally here at Hope Fellowship, how you could interject yourself in service. So she, and then she talks about that of even some very specific ways of doing that and how that's an act of generosity on our part. And, and you most, you know, the way we were programmed in the past was, whoa, that's a fail because that's not going to work because you have to have the program, the mechanism, and then people respond to the mechanism. And what we realize is that people respond to the vision because Sunday morning people respond in their support for church and missions and other giving opportunities and those kinds of things in a very powerful way. And we never received an offering traditionally. We didn't. You know, have we missed this over time? You know, even for us, how do we miss this? I mean, it took COVID to wake us up to say this, right? To to because our temptation would have been when COVID, when we were back on campus, that we would have gone back to the same structure that we were at before. We learned something powerful through that moment, and and that is that, uh, you know, let's let's teach on how to live a generous life, and and then people respond to vision and not program. They do, yeah. And it, it's, I think it's a beautiful thing. It is. I mean, the last question that we would probably want to ask, which is we've been talking a lot about the past 15 years and the past 100 years and the past 2,000 years of church <laughs> history. Uh, but as you have established the vision and we've carried out the vision Imperfect, imperfectly, right. but faithfully for 15 years. What does the next 15 years look like when it comes to carrying out this vision and everything? I, I think that the next, first of all, I would say, one, the next 15 years are exciting mm -hmm. because the world is going to change. And regardless of what takes place in the world, that we know that Christ is still king over all. And so the future of the bride of Christ, I think, amazingly beautiful. For Hope Fellowship specifically, is that part of that 15 years that, you know, I will be here. And, and, that, and then part of it, most likely, I mean, weird statement, I will not. And that doesn't mean that, you know, like God has punched my ticket, but yet the reality is that that for whatever reason, I may not, but age or whatever. 
I think that it, my desire, as I believe what the Lord has given me, is that we have created a greater sense of community here and that we have truly become one, that refuge for people's lives. And two, we have, again, focused on that of making disciples and disciples making disciples um, and preaching the gospel, that we don't get away from that. If, if I could look at the next 15 years and personally be satisfied, whatever that means and for whatever that's worth, is that we never get away from the gospel being the power of God into salvation. And that's it. That, that we stay true to that in everything that we do. That we avoid the temptation to program ourselves into success. We avoid all those temptations. That we find ourselves relevant to culture, yet sticking true, staying true to the gospel. And then I believe that we can say that Hope Fellowship has done the work that Christ has called us to do until the day that he returns. Well, yeah. um, I know we've had you on the podcast before talking about different things, but tradition has that we close with asking you for a book recommendation other than the Bible. So if you had mm-hmm. to recommend a book to read, mm-hmm. doesn't have to be on this topic. You asked me that last time. I remember that. Yes. Um, okay. Um, so Brad, my son, passed this book along to me, and it's truly life-changing. It's not a Christian book, but uh, he just texts me. And it's called Tough As They Come, and it's a book about Travis Mills. I don't know if you've ever heard of Travis Mills, but um, he's a quadruple amputee from Afghanistan. It is the most amazing book. The moments that you feel like life is unfair to you, <laughs> read this book. Oh gosh, yeah. It will rock your world. It's called Tough as They Come by uh, Travis Mills. It's, it's, it is a powerful book. Once you start reading it, you can't put it down. And so I, I would encourage anyone to, to just to read the book. Be ready to be challenged, I think, and um, to, to struggle with the moments that you do complain in life. It's powerful. So read it. Tough as they come. That's awesome. Thanks so much. Thank you so much. Thank you. And a big thanks to all of you for listening to this conversation. Uh, And a big thanks again to Pastor Mark for taking time to sit down and answer some of these important questions on this topic. Just a reminder that if you'd like to get in contact with us, you can always email podcast at hopeandanderson.com. We'll see you guys next week.